The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Michigan basketball returns and a look at how some Wolverines might do in the upcoming NFL draft next on this week's episode of Michigan Podcast. But there's going to be one team that's going to play solely as a team. No man is more important than the team. No coach is more important than the team. The team, the team, the team. Let's see for Anthony Wait for it. Here's Clark. This is no time for that. In the pocket and a sack. Tim Jamison. Brady gets terrific. Throws it. Touchdown night again. Schultz just before Brazil got it. And a leaping interception by Woodson. Harbaugh back to throw over the middle. Caught by Kohler at the five on his feet. Touchdown, Michigan. On his way. It's good. He's 5'7", 179 pounds, a junior at Michigan. But Jamie Morris packs a wallop, and he delivers for Bo Schembechler. And here's your first play. Pressure coming. Second. It is Glenn Steele, number 81, who fought his way through the traffic. Option. And Robinson calls his own number, and he's going to score. Oh, an easy touchdown for Robinson and Michigan. Winner. We're going to win the championship again because we're going to play as a team. And when we play as a team, and the old season is over, you and I know it's going to be Michigan again. Michigan. Go Blue! I'm Steve Dace. Welcome to this week's episode of Michigan Podcast. Later on, we'll be joined by Neil Stratton from InsideTheLeague.com. He works with and covers scouts across the NFL. We'll talk the NFL draft with him, including how some Michigan players such as Nico Collins, Jalen Mayfield, etc., how they may uh, do and where they may see their names called when the NFL draft comes calling here in just a couple of months. But we begin with the long and awaited and triumphant return of Michigan basketball. That was quite a win on Sunday in Madison. That was the kind of win, a special win, that special teams have on the way to a special season. I will confess, I was not optimistic. In fact, I played Wisconsin. (laughs) So I love betting against my favorite team. You know why? Because I look at it this way, if we lose, I still won some money on it, so it takes some of the sting away. 
But when you look at the situation, I mean, a 23-day layoff, and as we've talked about on this program before, Michigan's pause was not a pause, like some other places. For example, Florida State just came off a pause as well, but they practiced the entire time. Michigan's team was quarantined. Pretty much all they could do to leave their rooms was run in pairs outside. I don't know if y'all are familiar with what winners are like in Michigan. Running around outside? Eh, probably not. At least not that much. So no practices, nothing. For two full weeks, you've essentially got to reboot your season in the middle of the season when you were playing as well as any team in the country. Could you come right back? Could you do that? And pick right up where you left off, and then you go to a place which has been a house of horrors for Michigan basketball over the years. Michigan has not won in Madison since 2014, the last time they won a Big Ten championship. And frankly, I don't remember when they won there before that. I think that might be their only win since they opened up that new building there, a relatively new building. And it was a terrible start to begin with. Wisconsin up by 12, making a lot of key shots. But then in the second half, a switch was flipped. Maybe that technical on the Michigan bench for protesting the uh, the foul that wasn't called on Matt Davidson had something to do with sparking Michigan because they outscored Wisconsin 35-16 to 16 from there. But Michigan did something that is rarely done to the Badgers. They out-toughed them. They outgrinded them. And they performed better than them in their own building for a gritty win. A win that keeps them all alone in first place in the Big Ten. Three ga- at least three games up on every team except Illinois, whom they're two games ahead of in the loss column. So that win, the way it was done, I think that that's a benchmark that this is a special team. Now, the question then turns to, what about the games Michigan missed? I, I know there were some media reports about this. Let me just dispel this right now. There is no way, no how, the Big Ten is, mich- is making Michigan play 11 games in 22 days. All right. I said that a few days ago on our Twitter feed at Michigan Podcast. I repeat it today. And the fact that there's no makeup game between now and the Thursday game against Rutgers indicates that I was correct. If I had to guess, the Illinois and Michigan State games will definitely be made up because that way Michigan is assured of playing every team in the league. And then they may try to make up one of the Indiana games Uh, in order for the total rivalry or the complete rivalry there between Michigan and Indiana to be played. I don't expect any more than three of those games to be made up. And I wouldn't be shocked if it was just two. It's a COVID year. It is what it is. And it's not like Michigan is squeaking by these teams. It's eight point victory was its second closest big 10 win of the year. It's been just dominating clubs. And as we learned with Ohio state in football, It's about win percentage, especially if you're one of the Big Ten's most prestigious name brands. That has worked for the Buckeyes' favor quite a bit in recent years, and they've earned it with their success. It's about time some of that action comes the Maize and Blues way as well. Juwan Howard, what can you say? At this point, I mean, I think he's the national coach of the year. This was a fringe top 25 team heading into the year, and now it's a team that, is the consensus third 
ranked club in the country, whether you're looking at the AP or the analytics at a place like Ken Palm or the NCAA selection committee's net rankings. It was ranked number three in the overall sweet 16 rankings. Uh, the bracketology preview that came out last Saturday, the big 10 is clearly the best league in America. Michigan is clearly as of now, the best team in the big 10. And he's done all of this in year two with a roster that looks a lot different than the one he played with last year. And next year, he's got the number one recruiting class in the country on the way. It's a great time to be a Michigan basketball fan in many respects. And who would have thunk it? Juwan Howard may end up getting a Big Ten basketball championship or a Big Ten championship before Jim Harbaugh does, despite the fact Harbaugh had a five-year head start. And I know somebody will say, well, hey, he doesn't have to beat Ohio State to get there. Every year in Big Ten basketball, there's three to five teams as good as Ohio State is in football every year, meaning there's three to five teams in the Big Ten any year that could win the national championship and get to the Final Four. So you got to go through that kind of a gauntlet every single year. That's another excuse for Harbaugh. Essentially, Michigan basketball under Juwan Howard is everything Michigan football under Jim Harbaugh has sadly never become. And that's why right now, we're a basketball school. A thank you to all of you that support us via Patreon. Patreon.com slash Michigan Podcast. So many of you have asked for the last few years, hey, how can we support what you guys are doing? That's the best way is to support us via Patreon. There's three different levels that you can do that, but if you just sign up for the exclusive club at $5 a month, you also get reaction podcasts throughout the year, uh, as well as uh, our handicapping predictions. And right now we're in the throes of college basketball season. So thank you to the hundreds of you that are supporting us right now on Patreon. And you're welcome to do the same at patreon.com slash Michigan podcast. Back here on Michigan podcast. And let's talk about one of my favorite subjects, the NFL draft. That's right. In another life, I wanted to grow up and become the next Mel Kuyper Jr. A guy who turned just being really unreasonably obsessed with his favorite sport into his own cottage industry and showed that those of us who aren't good enough to play doesn't mean we can't give opinions on who actually is. I love Mel. I love the fact he's created an entire industry. I can't get enough of NFL draft stuff. And of course, in the Harbaugh era, what we have lacked in meaningful wins, we have more than made up for in putting a lot of guys into the league. And that's what we're going to talk about with a friend of the program who joins us now. Uh, Neil Stratton is here with us from InsideTheLeague.com. And Neil, it's good to have you with us on Michigan Podcast, brother. How are you? It's a pleasure, Steve. Thanks so much for having me on, buddy. So, first of all, tell us about Inside the League and and who Neil Stratton is. <laughs> well, it's funny to talk about Mel Kiper Jr. Uh, just real briefly, I moved to Houston in '98, uh, I believe it was, and uh, within short order, uh, a friend of mine who I worked with at the time at the Houston Chronicle, uh, her husband wanted to be the next Mel Kiper Jr. He had Mel's Blue Books going back literally <laughs> 20 years or so. And uh, so he and I started kind of a draft service. Uh, this is in the early 90s. I'm sorry, late 90s when the web was kind of pointing up and print products were kind of pointing down. And we're doing a print product. Um, without going through all the boring details, that failed in two or three years. But I kind of learned that there were there was no service for people who were in the NFL business, in the industry, agents, scouts, financial advisors, trainers, and what have you. So we launched in 02, 
And um, we've almost 20 years later, we've been fortunate enough to do a lot of exciting things, interesting things, I think at least. Uh, essentially, inside the league is everything that an NFL fan would find boring. Hirings, firings, trends, industry news, who's getting hired as a scout, who's getting fired as a scout, same thing as an agent. What are players looking for right now? What kind of training packages do they want? All those kind of things that are kind of the game behind the game, which really becomes pretty uh, interesting once you kind of follow it and learn what's going on and all those kind of things. And now we have awards that we offer that we provide to teams that drafted best or for the best scouts or the best agents and things like that. And we have newsletter series and what have you. Just the kind of things that you would do in 20 years of kind of building out a service and making contacts and building a network that was a little bit of a niche and a little bit outside the mainstream. You've written a couple of books on this subject as well, one of which I read. I found it fascinating because you essentially um, coach the players coming out on what to look for, what questions to ask, how to find an agent, how to make sure you don't get scammed, with the with the scouting process, what the expectations for that are. Tell us about those. Well, the book you're referring to is called Moving the Chains. That was my first book. came out a couple of years ago, and it came off a newsletter series. Uh, that I had done for parents of players a while back. And you're right, it does kind of take you through the draft process and discusses what you need to know and how to select an agent and how to get an all-star game invitation and you know what your pro day is going to look like and, and what to expect there and all the little stops along the way from, high school, from college senior to NFL draft picks. And it was written, again, for parents kind of because I don't, I haven't, I've never seen a comprehensive, uh, I don't know, offering anywhere that just talks about really what you need to know as you go through the process. If you don't have an advocate, then you know, you're, you're a little worse off. You're a little weaker. So the idea was to try to help people that were in that, in that status. Our, our most recent book is called Scout Speak. Scout Speak deals more with the scouting industry. Um, what do NFL scouts do? How do they work? What is their job like? What are some of the war stories from the road? What are the stories about evaluating players and we we get to, we talked to i think over 30 active and former scouts in the book and just kind of made it almost a, a love letter to the industry there's not a lot of there's a i think the scouts are, are people are fascinated by what they do and they they see it as a very glamorous job and the truth is they work really hard they're pretty anonymous they don't have nearly the power that, that most people think they have but there are some interesting facets to what they do, and that's what we want to kind of do. Or that's what I kind of want to do when I wrote the book. Well, let's get into the scouting process, and then as it applies to this particular draft class. So, uh, growing up in Michigan, I'm a huge Detroit Lions fan, unfortunately. Um, but <laughs> but I can't quit them as much as I try. But I, I found it fascinating. that I, First of all, I thought they should have traded Matthew Stafford a couple of years ago. I think he's mm-hmm. a phenomenal quarterback, but I think it was clear that he could not be an Aaron Rodgers level of quarterback, meaning that he could transcend a franchise. That I think he is mm-hmm. with, I think he's the kind of quarterback that the Rams are looking for. That if you are, you've built a team, he's your missing link. I think he'll do well for them in that role. I don't think mm-hmm. he's a guy that you can necessarily build a team around after watching him for 12 years in Detroit. But I found it fascinating that they got multiple first round picks for him in future years. And one of the reasons why I wonder if they did that. Our new general manager, Brad Holmes, used to be the director of college scouting for the Rams. 
And mm-hmm. I'm wondering, with no formal combine in Indianapolis this year, uh, they're letting the, the the players do workouts on campus, but I think they're limiting the amount of scouts that can attend. This is going to be, and will you have opt-outs, and one of them is a prominent one, is a Michigan player. We'll talk about him in a moment. This is going to be the least known studied draft class maybe in history. Is it? Is it possible that the Lions said, we want to actually have all that extra draft capital for the future drafts when we think we're going to know the cast of characters a lot better than we do this one? Well, I think that's a great point, and I do think that is true. Um, this is going to be far more of a film draft uh, than really any draft, I guess, in the last 10 or 15 years as – Pro days have become a bigger part of it. It's the combine has become a bigger part of it. Uh, all those kinds of things that have kind of been reduced or limited entirely during this draft cycle. One thing that's interesting about the Lions, um, even though they've kind of had their hits and their misses in the draft, they have one of the more senior staffs in all of football when it comes to their scouting staff. It's a, a bigger staff, and it's a staff that is unlike the current trend, which is to hire more younger scouts to come in and gather facts rather than come back with opinions. The Lions are the other side of that. They've got guys that have been doing this for a long time, have been with good organizations, and have, I guess, again, they're more skilled, I think, at evaluating. And when you factor in that Brad Holmes is coming in, who is a former college director himself, and even more so, having bring in John Dorsey, who's a bit of a controversial figure, but you can't argue with the results. You can't argue with what, with what he's built in Cleveland, with what he's built in Kansas City, um, the work he did in Green Bay. They've got a real opportunity with the amount of draft capital they have to make something happen. And I'm a bit of a contrarian, Steve, when it comes to the draft. I mean, I think there's a perception that if you've got a first round or you've got a, gold, a gift certificate for a future superstar, well, that's true sometimes. I get the pick right first. And if you don't get the pick right, mm-hmm. then you've got a guy who's just someone who is making a lot of money on your roster and disappointing all the fans and becoming a lightning rod. I think they've got a better chance to do that this year. Here's another advantage they've got this year, given the circumstances we have. It's, an, it's an, a remarkably thin draft class this year. We have a chance, again, without getting into a bunch of boring details, there are probably going to be fewer than 1,000 people that sign with agents this year. Typically, it's, a, it's closer to 2,000 players that sign with agents. That's a kind of a thumbnail sketch of the size of your draft class. When you consider that typically about 250 kids get drafted and another 250 or so sign after the draft, you've got a draft class that's about half the size of what it normally is. That means, now, for the top 100 to 150 players, the draft's not going to be a lot different. Those are your, your marquee guys, the recognizable names, the guys that typically play Power 5 at Power 5 schools. But the players that will be drafted on day three really in previous years would have been undrafted free agents. So you want to make sure you make really good with those first, second, third, fourth round picks because the guys after that are going to be much more of a crapshoot. The Lions have a lot of draft capital this year, which allows them to be serious players if they find guys that they want to get on day one and day two. And I think that really puts them in 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 the catbird seat, so to speak, for this year. For those that are the uninitiated, uh, those of us who follow this closely for fun, 
the 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 cliche is how important the senior bowl is but not the game the practice is during the week that's the first time right. these guys are getting formal NFL coaching uh coaching staffs from the AFC the NFC coach each team all week long down there in Mobile scouts are there and i think of guys when i when i will do my own mock drafts for fun I always rank higher than a lot of other people. The guys that I watched on the NFL Network excel senior bowl week. Guys like in recent years, Terry McLaurin at Ohio State, Debo Samuel, South Carolina. I mean, those guys were uncoverable all week long and didn't go in the first round. And then you've seen what what they're able to do, particularly Debo, when he's healthy. So this year with the senior bowl, but no, none of the other uh, scouting or a lot of the, the other scouting stuff that we're accustomed to. I'm guessing it was even more important. Our Nico Collins was down there. And I was listening to the, the Mel Kuyper, Todd McShay podcast post Senior Bowl the other day. And they noted that a lot of these guys that went down to the Senior Bowl but were opt-outs really underperformed. That you just simply, it, you cannot, no matter how much you're working out, it's, it's different playing actual football, and they clearly looked like they were behind guys that had played this season. But about the one exception they noted to that was Nico Collins, that he was the one mm-hmm. guy that opted out that really, really helped himself at the Senior Bowl when a lot of guys who opted out didn't help themselves. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think I think you're right. I mean, these players that opted out, I think in many, uh, in many cases, made poor decisions. But Collins obviously got his work done while he was out. And um, that's to his credit. I think that he got good coaching, got good training. Uh, Nico happens to train uh, at a facility that I do a lot of work with, and I know how on point they are. And uh, But I tell you, you really got to give Nico the credit for that because most of, a lot of these players go down there, and it's hard for them to get into game mode, as you alluded to. Obviously, it wasn't for Nico, and he made some money. Um, that's Especially, you know, when you when you play a position like that, where uh, which is maybe a little bit, I don't want to call it less of a marquee position, because it certainly is a, a place that makes a lot of money. But there are a lot of players that play wide receiver, and so you tend to get lost in the shuffle if you don't go ahead and stand out when you get your opportunity to. Especially given that there's no combine, um, he made some money for himself. He really solidified himself there in that you know late one, second round, maybe you know certainly day one, day two range for sure. And that might not have happened if you'd gone out there and uh, and been lacking in mobile. Another Wolverine I want to ask you about who originally opted out, then opted back in, then got hurt. Jalen Mayfield. So he's forced into starting as a redshirt freshman because a guy who's in the NFL now, John Runyon Jr., was hurt. So he's forced into starting. Uh, does a phenomenal job, ends up staying in the starting lineup when Runyon comes back. They shift some things around. He has a solid uh, redshirt freshman year, but I think it was the final game against Ohio State when they largely had him go one-on-one against Chase Young, and he held his own. Uh, doesn't mean he dominated or anything, but he didn't get embarrassed uh, that against a, a guy that everybody thought was the next you know big edge rusher in the NFL. I think that opened up a lot of eyes. Held his own against Alabama in the the bowl game as well, and then he was mentioned by a lot of people as a potential first round pick. But I think a lot of that maybe was on the anticipation that he'd get a full season of development based on where he was picking up from. I would guess. Well, he didn't get that. So what's his NFL stock right now? I mean, he has that prototypical frame that you're looking at, but you're going to look at a guy that also has limited reps because of what what COVID's done to the sport. Mm -hmm. I think you're right. I think that going into the season, he was a guy that was pretty, a lot of people were excited about and kind of saw him as a potential one. 
I don't think he's in that discussion anymore. Uh, but I, but he's obviously very talented and has a lot going for him. Michigan's pro day is uh, late in March, and so he should have plenty of time to be ready to roll and go out and do what he needs to do. If he goes and he's impressive at their pro day, then you know offensive tackle is kind of like quarterback. They tend to get uh, really attractive in the, as the as the draft process goes through if if they take care of all their business. So you could see him slide back up into the end of the first round. Uh, I'd look for him probably more as a second rounder, but. Yeah. there's a lot of things that can happen between now and the end of April. Two other players I want to ask you about, if you don't mind, that I'm fascinated by because I think athletically they're freaks. Uh, one is linebacker Cam McGrone, who was thrust into the lineup in 2019 and was a revelation. Looked like a mini Devin Bush heat-seeking missile out there. Uh, was phenomenal uh, blowing up uh, the pocket coming out of... Uh, I mean, Don Brown basically created zone blitz schemes just for him, it seemed. Uh, and then Ambry Thomas, who um, reminds me a lot... This is where I'm going to show my draft nerd stuff, Neil. He reminds me a lot of this player that came out of Auburn last year, Jamel Dean. Long, lanky, mm-hmm. but runs really, really fast. May not be the 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 shiftiest hips, but the but the but a long frame with elite speed. And we saw Dean play in the Super Bowl uh, just about a week or so ago. And I think he's been largely forgotten. He had the Crohn's disease, so he was concerned about uh, with a, a with an immune deficiency playing this year. So he opted out. So, what are your thoughts on McGrone and on and on Ambry Thomas? Let's, talk, let's take Thomas first because I think he's an interesting player uh, for reasons you alluded to. The interesting thing about Thomas, and I think one thing that we don't talk about as much in the draft process, I'm a big Todd Bowles fan, uh, the defensive coordinator of, of Tampa Bay. And I think that he did a lot to emphasize Dean's talents and put him in positions where he could win. Um, it's interesting because you know, Dean went out and had a great combine last year. And after the combine, I talked to probably a dozen scouts today Who's the guy that had a great performance that probably outperformed where he, uh, where he thought he was going to be and probably where he'll be drafted despite the fact that he really checked all the boxes in the 40 and in short, so to speak. Uh, if Collins can do that at his pro day, then he could be that guy that, that raises up. But the key to his NFL success and whether or not he can really produce the way Dean did is what team he goes to and what kind of coaching that he gets there and if they put him in the right situations and the right positions, what it both did with Dean last year, I think he's got the possibility of doing that. Um, McGrone is an interesting guy. I don't have as, as much of a read on him as much per se. What I do know is he's got exciting athleticism. And given the fact that he came from a P5 program in, in Michigan, uh, notwithstanding the fact that Michigan's kind of had its uh, disappointments the last few years, it's still a blue chip program. And I think, this year especially, if you come from a major program and you check all the boxes athletically, you're going to be given the benefit of the doubt. So McGrone could be a guy, again, that slides into round three because people are thinking, hey, we didn't get as much football as we wanted. Uh, we don't have maybe the sample size that we're normally looking for. We're, we're going to give this guy the benefit of the doubt because of the program he came from because of the athleticism he you know, displays. Neil, last thing I want to ask you about. Scouting overall and and pro football impressions of the Michigan program. One of the reasons why I also love draft season, it's not just it's the merger of my two favorite sports, college and pro football, but it's sodium pentothal because y'all don't care. All right, college fans, we lie to each other all the time, okay? If your favorite team won a bowl game, 
they're a young team and have everybody coming back. Doesn't matter if they started 75 seniors. Everybody says that, okay? Everybody's young. Everybody's going to be better next year. Everybody's recruits are always more talented, right? Everybody, uh, the, the guy is a 6'3 quarterback. He's really 5'11 and a half, okay? So college programs and college fans, we love to lie to each other. But in the NFL, you all don't care. I, all I need to know is, can you play? That's it, period. End of sentence, that's all I care about. And so tropes and bromides from the from the previous season often get exposed and blown up, okay? So here's what's happened under Harbaugh. We put a, a ton of guys in the NFL. I want to say it's like the sixth or seventh most in college football. Coming in, the, in, in the 2017 draft, we had the most guys drafted. Last year, we tied for the second most guys drafted. And yet, we haven't won our division. We've won one game under Harbaugh where we were an underdog by the point spread, and that was against Notre Dame in 2019, and we were a one-point underdog. We have a losing record against James Franklin. We went 500 against Michigan State when it was on the downside of Mark D'Antonio's career, and Mel Tucker had no offseason to develop a program. Uh, everybody knows about uh, you know 15 years of futility against Ohio State, but that predated Harbaugh. And so I'm curious because we also have not had a skill position player drafted in the first round since Braylon Edwards which is the last time we had a team win a Big Ten championship. I don't think that's a coincidence. So what's the overall national perception in scouting circles of our program compared to maybe what we Michigan fans might think? I think that Michigan is kind of uh, the Big Ten writ smaller. I think that team that, and, and you've seen this in draft, I think, the teams see Michigan as a great producer of linemen and linebackers and blood and guts, tough positions, defensive linemen, those kind of things. Um, they're always going to be that. I mean, they're, they're, they're facing the Wisconsin's and the Michigan states and those kind of the Ohio states and you know, the, the teams that typically produce those kinds of players. But I don't think that teams look at Michigan as an elite program for you know the quarterbacks you know the, the Shea Patterson's and the you know and the wide receivers notwithstanding the, the fact that Donovan Peoples-Jones had a nice season last year they're they're not expecting that kind of production in the defense back in the secondary and in the backfield as much and I don't know if that's because uh, that's reflection on how Harbaugh's trying to build his team I don't know if that's just a reflection on how people see the Big Ten now I don't know exactly but I mean it's just like you said, no one's lying on draft day. I mean, they're, they're going out there and they're taking the player that they feel best fits their team and has the best bona fides for the NFL. I don't think you can argue that that's the direction the NFL teams are going right now. I don't see that changing anytime soon. Um, it's just the way it is. And I don't know why the team has taken that personality per se. I mean, to some degree, I think that's the Jim Harbaugh personality. But at the same time, you think they would – accidentally fall backwards into an elite blue chip kind of, you know, uh, defense stretch. I mean, let, let, let's face it, more. Donovan Peoples-Jones yeah. got about as many catches in his career at Michigan as he probably would have gotten in about one season at Ohio State. Yeah. Yeah, he was mostly a special teamer. Yeah. And, um, you know, he, I think the needle's pointing up for him in his NFL career. Is that because he wasn't developed properly? I don't know. I don't have an opinion on that. I, I can't give you feedback on that. All okay. I can tell you is this is the way the Michigan is perceived. It's certainly it's the way they've been drafted. 
and I don't see that changing anytime soon. What do you hear in circles? Uh, final question, part two. What do you hear in circles about the culture of the program, Harbaugh? What do you hear? I think that NFL teams, I think scouts like him. I think they feel like he gives them a chance to evaluate their players. Um, I think that there is still a sexiness about him as far as being a recruiter. But again, um, I don't I don't think it's the same as it was certainly when he arrived in Ann Arbor. Um, you know, I mean, he's always had a lot of success and has produced a lot of players and mm-hmm. had a lot of success on the NFL side. But as far as the players that he has coming in and developing, um, it's just not happening the way it used to. Neil Stratton, InsideTheLeague.com. You can follow him on Twitter as well, at InsideTheLeague. Good to talk to you, brother. Love following the draft stuff and uh, appreciate uh, you being with us here this week on Michigan Podcast. A lot of fun. Had a lot of fun, man. Um, Always a pleasure and a big fan of what y'all do as well. Thanks so much for the opportunity. You got it, Neil. Take care. A thank you to all of you that support us via Patreon. Patreon.com slash Michigan Podcast. So many of you have asked for the last few years, hey, how can we support what you guys are doing? That's the best way is to support us via Patreon. There's three different levels that you can do that, but if you just sign up for the exclusive club at $5 a month, you also get reaction podcasts throughout the year, uh, as well as uh, our handicapping predictions. And right now we're in the throes of college basketball season. So thank you to the hundreds of you that are supporting us right now on Patreon. And you're welcome to do the same at patreon.com slash Michigan podcast. This week's Twitter poll results. We asked you, the selection committee just said four weeks out, Michigan is a number one seed. Do you believe the Wolverines will still be a number one seed come selection Sunday? 51% of you said no. 48% of you said yes. I'm pretty confident Michigan's going to be a number one seed, actually. Let's get to this week's feedback of the week. Paul Beegler. Oh, boy. He writes, I'm a U of M fan living in Columbus. OSU fans seem way more agitated at Michigan and its underperformance than Michigan fans. I try to explain that Ohio State cares more about the football program than Michigan does, and that really grates them. On a scale of 1 to 10 for importance of the football program to both university and fan base, Ohio State is a 15. Rank the importance uh, compared to other teams in the Big Ten. Where does Michigan rank compared to other teams in the Big Ten? Uh, Well, I mean, with the fan base, uh, it's a 28. With the university... Um, I, I think that they love the fact that they can sell out a stadium for a lot of money and get big television checks. Uh, I, I, when your university presidents never visited a football program one time, or at least hadn't heading into this season in the four, five years he's been the, the or four years he's been the, the, the school president, I think that kind of tells you what you need to know. So I, I think that, and you saw this with the basketball quarantine despite no positive tests. Michigan Michigan prides itself at an, on an administrative level at trying to make it more sanctimonious, self-righteous, and difficult on itself than other schools. Almost as if they then want to brag about how superior of a human being we are to you. And you don't have to do that. 
You, you don't you don't have to do that. North Carolina has the number one rated medical school for research in America, rated even higher than Michigan's. It let its players play football this fall. While, you know, Michigan's epidemiologists were lobbying the Big Ten to keep the season canceled. Does, I guess that must mean what the number one med school in the country, North Carolina. I guess they just they just hate their kids. They don't, they don't care about their players. That, that's ridiculous, man. Duke's a top 10 medical school in America. One of its scientists was leading the ACC return to play task force. Going on national television, explaining why it was going to be safe to play college football this year. So I guess at Duke, they just, they hate their players. They don't care about their kids. I mean, just that, that level of self-righteous sanctimony, frankly, is, is nauseating. Grading, lots of things, all of them negative. This idea that we don't win more on a big level in football because of this is wrong. Um, we don't win more on a big time level in football because we haven't recruited a skill position athlete that got picked in the first round of the NFL draft in 15 years, which was the last time we won a Big Ten championship. Because our head coach, despite being a <clears throat> quarterback whisperer, has yet to recruit a quarterback that has been drafted by the NFL heading into year um, seven. That's why. That other stuff, we just do it for our own reputation because we like to we like the excuse later on. And if you go to Michigan message boards, you'll see there's a contingent of people that they love this. They get off on this level of sanctimony and self-righteousness. But the reality is that's not where most Michigan fans are. They they don't sell a lot of uh, women's rowing championship shirts at MDEN. They don't sell a lot of led the Big Ten and APR shirts at shirts over at the MDEN. I you know I don't I don't know of any fan base uh, or any Michigan fan that in their Michigan man cave has a most self righteous fan base again this year plaque banner those who self-righteous will be champions banner uh, hanging in their man cave. So a lot of it's a built-in excuse for, if it, it's a little bit like masks. If cases go down, the mask worked. If cases don't go down, wear your damn mask. So if Michigan wins football championships, then um, we're better than you. We did it by being better, morally superior if we don't win, then, well, we're, it, it's because we're so busy being morally superior, we can't win. I don't give two craps or a stroke how many tattoos Ohio State players got for free. I don't care. I don't care if they got cars. I don't care if anybody's paying their players uh, and paying their mama's electric bill. I, I don't know of any other pursuit in all of human history where people with more resources giving some of those resources to people with less in order to acquire gifts, talents, and services from them was considered immoral, unethical, outside of the NCAA rulebook. That's the only place I know of where that's the case. We have the largest living alumni body in the world, the largest stadium in the country. We're the winningest program of all time, second all-time in win percentage. We have more Big Ten championships than anybody else. 
There isn't a program in the country that has more national reach than Michigan does. Freaking win. Enough of the excuses. Enough of the tropes. Enough of the crap. Win. That'll do it for this week's episode of Michigan Podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Michigan Podcast to keep up to date with everything we think in between episodes. You can also like, rate, subscribe, five-star review, however the case may be, whichever the case may be, whether you're watching on YouTube or listening on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, whatevs. We appreciate all of that interaction, word of mouth, that helps to spread the word about what we do here on Michigan Podcast. Until the next time, I'm Steve Dace, and go Blue.